Hello and welcome to edition 4 of Spindrift. This is Ken Matthews. Fife is famous for many things. St Andrews and its golf, along with the University and Prince William, who attends there. Not to mention the giggle of girls following him around, hoping to meet and marry him. I know giggle is not the correct term for a collection of sniggering prince hunters, but I feel it should be. Incidentally, Fife is also the home of A Sight for Sore Eyes, the website that you're currently at. Spindrift just slipped that last bit in, because I'm not famous. However, my attention has been drawn to the quote about the site on the Google search engine. It says, and I quote, A Sight for Sore Eyes, the premier and original free website for the blind or visually impaired. You have no idea how chuffed I am with that. I never realised that websites were rated. Anyway, back to the matter in hand, and the great and good in Fife. There's the East Nuuk, a very picturesque coastal area with quaint fishing villages, including Lower Largo, the village where Alexander Selkirk lived, and on whose experiences the story of Robinson Crusoe were based. The main thrust of this story is that it is also the home of Jack Vetriano, the artist. I have prints of his works all around the house and would love to meet him and shake his hand. Jack is probably the leading living artist in the world, certainly the most important in terms of sales of original paintings and enormous sales of his prints. One of his paintings sold just last year for £98,000 and every time he releases another painting it sets another new world record for him. You might think that Scotland would be proud of their most famous cultural son. Not a bit of it. Not one of his paintings has been hung in the National Gallery of Scotland. Jack Vetriano has been dubbed the people's painter and was likened to artists such as Monet, Hopper and Van Gogh by Lord Bragg, the presenter of the prestigious arts culture programme on television, The South Bank Show. He was likened to Monet and company because they were also unpopular in their lifetime. Not by the public, of course, I hasten to add, but by the so-called intelligentsia. Lord Bragg devoted a programme to Jack Vetriano because of his international stature, with Deirdre Armstrong of the prestigious Bonhams, the important arts auctioneers, stating that, without doubt, Vetriano is a phenomenon and should be represented in a National Gallery. The National Gallery of Scotland was approached to take part in the programme, but rebuffed the suggestion, saying, sniffily, as Jack Vetriano's work is not represented in the gallery, we decline to take part. They are breathtaking in their arrogance, aren't they? Here we are in Scotland with a building, or rather a building site, that is going to cost us £500 million, and the National Gallery, who are also spending our money, refusing to buy a painting of the world's foremost painter for the nation. Even a new world record price of £100,000 for a Vetriano would just be the equivalent of the cost of a doorknob on the new Scottish Parliament building. So, why are the establishment ignoring him? Let's try and figure out why the cultural pygmies in Scotland ignore this artistic giant of a man. Now, 
Spindrift has a theory, and here it is. Jack Vetriano's genius is natural. Teaching himself painting after having been rejected by Edinburgh College of Art. Oops, reminiscent of the Beatles being turned down by record labels, isn't it? To go off at a slight tangent, I have never heard of a genius who did emerge from the Edinburgh College of Art. But maybe that's because I'm a Philistine. Anyway, back to Jack. After his rejection, he became a coal miner in order to support himself, spending his spare time in the art gallery in Kakodi Fife, copying the paintings that hung there before developing his own very distinctive, recognisable style. And as I say, the rest is history. So what is my theory? To paraphrase a popular saying, the ones who can't paint become artistic sycophants and run national art galleries, whilst to those who can paint do so and become extremely rich and famous to the extreme annoyance of the toadies who hold the national purse strings. Shock horror! Spindrift may have made a mistake in campaigning to ensure that sewage from Thames Water did not sully the Dalcandy Opencast mining site in Lanarkshire, Scotland. Certainly, the thought of rally cars racing around on top of a mountain of human manure from the London area and spraying up the excrement into the faces of spectators made me cringe. Now it appears I may have been mistaken because scientists are now saying that homes of the future could be powered by electricity generated from their owner's sewage. Forget your wind farms with their huge windmill turbines or the gadgets floating on top of the waves creating wave power. No, all we are going to need in the future is a goodly number of lavatories. According to researchers at Pennsylvania State University, they have developed an electricity generator fueled by sewage, which also breaks down harmful organic matter, therefore doubling up as a sewage treatment plant. Hmm. If that's the case, then the Scottish Parliament building should be able to generate enough electricity to power the whole of Scotland when, or if, it ever opens. Spindrift was walking through the local shopping mall yesterday and had to pass a child that was having tantrums. Even though I was about 40 yards away, the screams were truly pain-inducing and the echoing mall added to the discomfort. As I'm half-deaf anyway, I can't begin to imagine the effect that the piercing shrieking having on the other shoppers who had normal hearing although I did notice the speed of passers-by increased considerably as they neared the offender. As I hurried past with my head down, trying my best to shut out the caterwauling, the mother and her friend were talking, or perhaps more accurately shouting, totally oblivious of the shrieking child. It got me to thinking, are parents fitted with filters that stop them hearing the din of their offspring? Could I sue the parents of the screeching child if my hearing was damaged? As things tend to do with Spindrift, 
it set me thinking, and I decided to do a little bit of research. It appears that hearing loss is the number one disability in the world. Not only that, Barry Manilow was sued by a fan who attended one of his concerts for noise-induced hearing loss. Spindrift tends to think that particular example of hearing loss was self-induced. For example, should you attend a football match and get hit in the face by the ball to your injury, you would be deemed to have waived any rights to compensation by buying a ticket and entering the arena. However, Barry settled the lawsuit by donating $5,000 to the American Tinnitus Association. The highest percentage of hearing loss suffered in any profession used to be that of jet fighter pilots. A jet fighter is basically a seat fitted with guns and rockets mounted on top of a hugely powerful jet engine, and as such, the pilots were subjected to decibel ratings upwards of 140. A document produced by the Canadian Society of Otolaryngology You what, Gov? Oto what? To you and me, it basically means ear, nose and throat. <laughs> yeah, I had to look it up as well. The document stated that anyone subjected to those noise levels for any length of time at all were in severe danger of damaging their hearing. Wake up at the back. I can hear you yawning. The point of the story is, the military came up with a pair of earphones and a microphone that had noise cancellation properties. Effectively, the microphone recorded the sound of the jet engine and a small computer recreated the sound in reverse, then fed it back into the earphones. I can hear you cringing at the thought of even more sound being pumped into the ears of the pilot. But that's not how it happened. That's not so, no. The effect of feeding the exact reverse sound into the earphones cancelled the other sound and left blissful silence behind. Now, where can I buy these earphones for the next time I visit the shopping mall? If you happen to visit Inverness in the near future, you may see building sites with people wearing hard hats and pouring water onto the ground from watering cans. Ah, yes, they're watering the garden, probably the newly turfed lawns, I hear you say, nodding to each other. Well, not quite. You see, these houses have yet to be built. You what, Gov? So what are men wearing hard hats for if they're just watering the ground? Spindrift will explain all. The builders, or more likely their lackeys, are pouring water on the ground to fool any worms that are having their tea underground to pop out and see them. Yes, they're trying to fool the worms into thinking it's raining. It's well-known folklore that worms come out when it rains. Are you puzzled yet? Builders? Worms? Watching cats? An unlikely combination. Okay, I'll put you out of your suspense. The builders are holding a census. A population census. Of worms, that is. I can hear your jaws dropping, but it is absolutely true. Developers in and around Inverness, Scotland's fastest growing city, will have to count the worms in housing plots in future to make sure they're not depriving local badgers of the dinner.
Yes. You see, worms are the main source of food for badgers, and Inverness is to become the first place in the United Kingdom to integrate the conservation of the species into the local planning process. That means any housing plots near badger sets, the name for the animal's houses, will have to be tested for their earthworm density. A £20,000 study was undertaken and they reported back to Scottish National Heritage and the Highland Council that nearly one in six sets could be affected by future development in Inverness. The report highlights the fact that earthworms are the key badger food and recommends that estimates of the effects of any worm shortfall caused by any house building in the area be carried out. A spokesperson for Scottish National Heritage and the Highland Council stated, The report will have implications for house building. Builders will be asked to count the worms using a scientific technique which will give the worm density of the area. Yes, quite so. The hard hat and watering cans scientific technique. And look down, boy. There are another two worms over there. No rudders. That's the two ends of one worm. Oh dear, Del boy, I've lost count of all the worms. Rodney, you are such a plonker. It has been brought to Spindrift's attention that Jordan, she of the surgically enhanced breasts, has launched her tell-all autobiography at the London Book Fair with copies of the book, full of blank pages. She made the blunder at the ostentatious launch of Being Jordan when a publisher handed her copies of the book to hold, but she dropped them on the floor and everyone saw that all of the pages were blank. And that's about right, I should think. If I were to write a book about Jordan, I feel a couple of sentences would suffice. One, she had her breasts enlarged and appeared on a TV show. Two, return to sentence one. One publishing expert commented that promotional copies are sometimes blank in case extra chapters are added. He said, the book is not due out until the end of May, and with Jordan, anything could happen before then. Does that mean I might find enough material to write a third sentence? By the way, with reference to her pretend boyfriend in the TV show, Peter Andre, Spindrift has heard snide whispers that his UK tour has flopped at the box office, with one venue selling just 17 tickets. Well, at least he sold 17 tickets, which is 17 more than the number of pages that Jordan managed to write for the book launch. A spokesman for Peter Andre admitted some venues may not sell out, but added, We're really quite pleased with ticket sales. Quite so. Quite so. Well, that's it for edition four of Spindrift. So, from my lofty eerie on top of the fourth road bridge, I will keep an eye out for more gossip, and I will be back. Don't forget, Spindrift. This is Kenneth J. Matthews. Bye.